Good job, guys. Good worship. Turn in your Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as we continue in our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. Second service, we had the little earthquake, which is, it, it seems like God does that every holiday weekend just to let people who are visiting know that they're glad to go back home. <laughs> but uh, it fit in really good with the message. I wish I could do it again. It was perfect timing then. So, But uh, here in 1 Corinthians, we've been studying what Paul had to say to the people there in Corinth. They were a good church in a lot of ways. A lot of good things were happening, and there was a lot of good that you could say about what God was doing there. But they were also, in other ways, really messing themselves up, doing some things that were just getting in the way of what God wanted to do in their midst, in the body. They were in chronic competition with each other, constantly putting each other down and arguing, so much so they sued each other. They were, you know, just all of the sin that was permeating the body was doing what sin always does. Sin always just messes everything up, and they were doing that big time. Paul was trying to show them how life's supposed to work as a Christian, and that there's so much more that they could experience and so much better that they could have if they would enter into the relationship that God wanted them to have. Here in this chapter we've been looking at, he talked about their lawsuit problem, and then he went in and went down the list of all these different ways that you can ruin your life. Fornication, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, and extortioners. And he said, such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. God had so much better for you than to just leave you in a state where you would destroy yourselves and destroy each other. Now as we come to verse 12 here in chapter 6, Paul makes a statement that's really pretty shocking in some ways. He says, all things are lawful for me. And you almost want to go, Paul, don't. That's the last thing the Corinthians need to hear. They lived in a society where people were just doing all kinds of horrible things, and it was accepted in their society. The last thing they need to hear is, all things are lawful for me. But what Paul is stating here is a very real truth. The fact is, God never wanted us to live according to the law. He didn't design us so that we could live our lives according to a set of rules. Often we talk about Christianity and the Bible as if that's what it is. Oh, it's God's little rule book. It's God's little instruction book for life. And if we follow all the rules, then everything will be wonderful. But the truth is, we're not designed that way. In the Old Testament, God gave the law. And he said, here it is, here are the rules. And they said, oh, great, that's awesome. We'll do all that the Lord has said we will do. The problem is they couldn't keep the law. And I don't care how simple the rule book is, you can't keep it. In the Garden of Eden, there was one rule, don't eat that tree. And the first thing they did, they're hanging around that tree, and they ate of it. See, the problem with living life by rules is we can't do it. The other problem with living life by rules is that 
even when you start to bend the rules, find loopholes, and justify yourself enough so that you start feeling like you're doing pretty good, the next thing you know, you're looking down your nose at everyone else. And so legalism always either results in some of the people feeling constantly devastated and incapable of ever cutting it. So half the people feel like, oh, I'm a lousy Christian. And the other half think they're great Christians. They just think you're a lousy Christian. And they want to judge you because they've played with the rules enough that they can justify themselves. They've found the loopholes, and they actually think they are pretty righteous. Yep, I don't sin like you do. And it's true, you sin differently than I do, but that's the mentality. But what God had for his people always was something way better than a list of rules, way better than the law. He promised in the Old Testament even, hey, the day is going to come under the new covenant when my law is placed in your heart. I want to do it from within. I want it to be natural. And there's something in all of us that just like wants to get out of the rules. We want to get away from the law. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, I'm not under the law. I've been freed from the law. Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. I'm not a guy that has to just watch the rule book carefully. All things are lawful for me. There was an old song that people used to sing years ago that it was a great song, and it, it started out, free from the law, oh, happy condition. Jesus has bled, and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, Christ has redeemed us once for all. And truly, if you can be freed from the law, what a happy condition that is. To not be constantly worried about, oh, no, is this okay? Well, how about this? But what if you do it in this way, or what if it happens in this kind of a circumstance or situation? When Jesus died, he paid the penalty so that we would be freed from the law. And Paul says that all things are lawful for me. I don't have to worry about the burden of a rule book. But, you know, the next word is but. So it's a little more complicated than that. It's not just a simple antinomianism, you know, I'm against all rules kind of a thing. But really what Paul is saying is there's a way that you can live above the law. There's a way you can live that works better than the law would ever give you, and it's really a higher standard, a higher plane. It's why Jesus said, your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees if you're ever going to get to heaven. There's a higher way, a better way of living than the best legalistic lifestyle that you could ever come up with. So he says, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach, and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them, food and stomachs. Now, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. I wasn't sure where to stop, so that's where I stopped it. Next week we'll continue, but he continues along the same line of reasoning and really reminds us of who we are. So that's a study that we won't want to miss, I know. Unless the Lord comes back before then, then I'm happy to give that one up no matter how much I've prepared it. But Paul says, okay, it's not about the law. 
everything is lawful for me. It pretty much is, whether you like it or not, because you know you can twist things and convince yourself that almost anything is okay. So he's saying, let's set that aside for now. However, all things are not helpful. The old King James says expedient there. There are other translations that say all things are not convenient or appropriate or you know, satisfactory or something like that. What the word there means, literally, it's a word that, it's two words put together. One of them is the, the little prefix. Well, the second word is a word that means to carry, to carry a load. And the first word that comes with it is a word that means with. So literally, the word that's translated here, helpful, is with carry or carry or carry on or carry along. It's, it's a word that was a, it's similar. The best way I could describe it, I think, for you is, you know, when you go on an airplane, you figure it out that if you bring a bunch of luggage, they always lose it. So most people are wising up nowadays and figuring out, you know what, I'm only going to take what I can carry with me. I'm just going to fit it all into a carry-on, and it's nice. It's never out of my sight. It's never out of my hand. And I go on the airplane. It's with me. And when I leave, it's with me. Life is so much simpler if everything would fit in your carry-on. And that's kind of the idea of this word. What he's saying is convenient or something that's easy to hang on to, something that's not so big that you can't carry it, really in, in some ways, what he's saying is, everything might be lawful for me, but some things have more baggage than others. Some things are just going to involve lugging a lot of things along. Now, the word is also used in a sense that everyone has to carry what's involved. And so sometimes, if I bring too much, then somebody else is going to have to carry that with me. And that idea is there too. And you know, I know all you men are nudging the women and realizing what that means. But, you know, the idea that like, okay, you have enough luggage so that together we can carry it all, but I'm going to end up carrying a lot of it. Well, what Paul is saying is, instead of just looking at your life and saying, okay, is this okay or isn't it? Is this a sin or is this permissible? He goes, instead, ask yourself, is it really worth it? Is this something that I really want to take all the baggage that comes along with it? Because things are a lot more complicated than just analyzing them simply. One good example I can think of this is people who own dogs. Now, I'm not going to pick on dog lovers because I love dogs myself. In fact, I love dogs so much that I don't have one because I... <laughs> Dogs just don't live long enough, you know, and you get a dog and you get attached to it. I would rather have somebody else on the dog. I'll go play with it once in a while, and then I don't realize when it died because usually they bought another one that looks just like it. But some people own dogs. They're dog owners. But there are some people who actually are owned by their dogs. You know, the, the dog just completely takes over, and that's, that's their baggage. And you know, all the extra stuff that comes along with owning the dog sometimes is where the dog owns you, and that becomes a problem. But you take that with you. You take that baggage with you. And that's kind of the idea also where he talks about, I'm not under the power of any, but we'll get to that in a minute. But the idea is, 
when you're going to get a dog, you need to know everything that comes along with owning a dog because it's going to affect a lot about your life. In a different way, when you first start having a relationship with a member of the opposite sex, you first start being attracted to people. You, know, you notice that, wow, you know, maybe I'd like to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You have no idea the amount of baggage that comes along with that. I have no idea how complicated it is. And I, you know, I look at, I mean, yesterday I did two weddings for two couples who I really love. And I, but I look at these kids and I go, you guys have no idea what you're getting yourselves in for. It's just way more complicated than you think it is. And, oh, I try to explain it. And I used to just give hours and hours of premarital counseling to prepare people for marriage. And I realized they don't listen. They don't get it. I can't describe it for you. I'll be there after it falls apart. You know, just come and talk to me then. And, and a lot of times, there are things that you can go, well, it's a good idea, but it's a lot more complicated than I thought it was. It's a lot bigger deal than I thought it was. And Paul's just going, consider the baggage. Consider everything that comes along with what you are doing, in other words. Now, um, there's a pastor that I know of who I have a great deal of respect for him. He really has a powerful ministry up in the Seattle area. And Seattle's a, an area that's a lot of musicians and artists and real liberal sort of community. And, and his ministry is real cutting edge kind of a thing. And when he started ministering, he was a pretty new Christian. And, and some of the language that he used in his sermons was rather crusty. You know, he would use kind of blunt words for things. Now, language is a funny thing. We decide that, you know, there has to be a word that means this, but there are several words that mean that, and one of them may be perfectly acceptable, and another one people may go, oh, I can't believe you said that. And it's, in some ways, it's unfortunate, but what this pastor did, he used language that some of the words that he used, he wouldn't use the Lord's name in vain or anything like that, but some of the words that he used, you'd consider to be cussing. And he got a reputation of being the cussing pastor. <laughs> That's not the great... I mean, there might be some people, oh, yeah, let's go hear the cussing pastor. This should be good. But for the most part, it was a real negative thing. He doesn't do it anymore. I've listened to him lately, and I noticed he's not cussing as much. And he said it was just too much trouble. You know, it's like he had to answer the question too much and explain himself and define... And there are some things like that that... You may be able to defend it, but is it worth the baggage? And so there are times when I know there's a perfect word that says exactly what I want to say, and I go, never mind, because <laughs> I just don't want the baggage that comes with it. You know, and I wouldn't feel that it would be a sin. I just don't think it would be worth all the explanations and we had a one time years ago at the school over at Calvary, there was a girl who was a pretty new Christian and kind of new to the church, and, and she was coming to the school, and she heard one kid say a bad thing to another kid, an insulting thing. And this kid was sophisticated. He didn't say it in a way that he could get in trouble for it, but he really insulted this uh, kid who had some disabilities. And she stuck up for the other kid, and so she called this other kid a bad name, a name that everyone would say, Oh, yeah, I know what you mean when you're talking about bad names. 
And it was hard because I, she got sent to me, and I had to discipline her and talk to her parents and everything. And it's like, okay, you know, you have to have consequences. You can't let kids talk like this. It's not proper. But at the same time, I was like wanting to congratulate her because she stuck up for this other kid and what she said. So I, had, I sat her down, and she was all scared, a little tears coming out of her eyes, and her parents are there, and they already knew what she had said, and they sat down, and I said, I'm going to make this really quick. And they're like, oh, boy. They figured she was kicked out of school. And I said, your daughter's choice of words, though accurate, was inappropriate. <laughs> You're dismissed. <laughs> but... You know, sometimes it's like, okay, yeah, that word would, if there's ever a word that would describe what you are, that is, but, you know, you just don't do it. And if we live our lives like, okay, what can I do and what can't I do, we'll miss out on a whole lot of the things that we would just be better off not doing. Things would be smoother for us if we didn't do certain things. So rather than argue about whether or not it's okay or in what circumstance, Paul would say, you know what, there are some things I just don't want to deal with the baggage. And so what I'm doing, people can argue endlessly whether it's right or wrong. But for me, it's just about, I don't want to deal with it. And so I'll simplify things a lot, and that will simplify our lives a lot. When we just have that common sense understanding of seeing that bigger picture. Now, he also says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That's the idea that I don't want to have something that has me, that controls me. Again, like a dog, there are some dog lovers, there's somebody who thinks that there's something wrong when you leave $12 million to your dog and only $5 million to your favorite grandchild. It's like, hmm, something's weird here. But, but people are that way. And I, I've watched on some of these home shopping shows where they're looking for a new house. Half the people, their big concern when they're looking for a new house is, will their dog like it? And, and, and I'm sorry, I can already tell who the dog lovers are by the look on your face right now. But I, to me, this just looks so, you're making a million-dollar purchase, and you want to know whether your dog is going to be happy there or not? But I saw one the other day that was funny, because this lady lived up in the Bay Area, and this was... House Hunters International. She was moving to down at the at the bottom of Baja, California, Mexico. And everything was, I don't think Phoebe would like that room. I'm not sure if this would be appropriate for her. Well, then she finally buys this house down in Mexico, and they show her a few months later, and Phoebe's not there. And, uh, and you're going, hmm, what's going on? And then she go, they, they said, well, how does Phoebe like it? She goes, well, she said, I... You know, I feel really bad because Phoebe was so looking forward to moving to Mexico. But, but she said, Phoebe is afraid to fly. And so she said, I'm going to have to drive up 1,200 miles. I'm going to have to drive up and get Phoebe and bring her down. Think, does that really make a lot of sense? Now, at some point, you don't own the dog. The dog owns you. But there are people who, there are other things in our lives that own us. There, you can buy a new car, and you're so afraid of getting the car scratched that 
You have to park the car way out in the parking lot and walk all the way to the store because you're so afraid it's going to get scratched. Now, you don't own the car at that point. That car owns you. Or there are people who just, their favorite TV show, somebody will invite them out to dinner and it's like, sounds like a, this would be a wonderful evening if only it wasn't on Thursday night when such and such a show is on, you know, but now I can't do it. As Paul said, there are some things that are lawful for me, but I'm not going to let anything take over control of my life. There are times when you may be ill or injured where pain-killing medication may save your life, but you also may take that so long that now it's controlling your life and you can't do without it. One of the things that all of those sins that we listed earlier from earlier in the chapter have in common is every one of them is horribly addicting. Every one of them takes control of your life. You start doing something that seems perfectly innocent, but over time, it takes control. And Paul said, I don't want anything to control my life. He wanted God to control his life. He didn't want stuff to do it. And so rather than argue about whether or not it's okay to do this or that, his thinking was, nothing's going to control me that way. If there's anything that would be a big burden on me, then I don't want it to be a part of my life. Now, one of the things that Christians argue about a lot is, should you drink alcoholic beverages or not? And if you've listened to me very much, you know that's not a big issue with me, and I'm not going to beat anybody down over it or anything like that, although I don't drink myself. But I wouldn't feel, if you gave me a glass of wine right now and I drank it, I wouldn't feel like, oh, no, I'm going to hell, or, you know, oh, this is a horrible sin for me. It's not, it's not that at all, nor am I interested in, so don't meet me at the door to tell me that, you know, biblical wine wasn't really alcoholic, and I heard this study, and I read, I've read all the studies, and I'm not really interested in arguing about it, but for me, it's like, it's something that at some point takes control, and so I don't need that. I also don't need the baggage that comes along with it, and so I personally don't drink alcoholic drinks. I wonder about someone who really wants to argue about it, because I think, why is this such a big deal to you? I mean, could you not not drink? Do you feel like your life's not fulfilled unless you can have another drink? Is that, that in itself starts tipping you off. In fact, anything in your life that you can't give up falls into this category. And that's a good thing to do with different areas of your life. If you're wondering, am I doing this or not? Is there anything in your life that you just couldn't give up? Well, I would suggest giving it up for a while just to see if you're addicted or not. If you're addicted to something and it has power over you, you'll know right away when you give it up. You'll notice. It's like food. If you, if you stop eating food, you feel hungry. You're not really hungry. You're just having withdrawal symptoms. And that's why I believe sometimes that the Bible suggested the value of fasting just to say, Food's not going to control me. Now, if you go, oh, no, I can't fast. That's not, it won't be good for me. And Okay, if you have some medical reason, that's fine. But for anyone who doesn't have a medical reason, I would suggest it might be good for you to fast for a couple days every once in a while and spend your time in prayer. At least you'll know I'm not letting food run my life. The baggage of my life is not food. Now, 
Some people have problems with eating. Some people have problems with not eating enough. It's all individual. You can't come up with a list of rules. All I would say is just a simple question. Is it becoming baggage for you? And is it having power over your life? And then whatever it is. For me, I will never have an addiction to shopping, for instance. I hate shopping. For me, I'm never going to get so obsessed with my own looks and, and you know, the way I'm dressed. And the, You're not going to see me getting cosmetic surgery or ever you know, thinking about even what color I'm wearing. I will never, I don't care, obviously. But I dress like a musician. But, but for somebody else, that might be the big issue. So back up a little bit and see. You don't know the kind of baggage sometimes that you're bringing along until you let go of something and realize, wow, it was more complicated than I realized. Paul would say, I won't let anything take power over my life. I don't care if it's a sin or not. He goes, it's not a legal thing. It's not a rule book thing. It's simply there are some things that, well, Paul talked later in the book, we'll see as he talked about eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. And he said, I know that if meat has been sacrificed to an idol, nothing changes in the meat molecularly. There's no reason why that meat is bad because some superstitious person thought that they were giving it to an idol. Nothing wrong with the meat at all. But he goes, there are some people who really trip out on it and have a problem with it. And he said, if, if I'm going to offend somebody else by eating meat that's sacrificed to idols, hey, I won't eat meat at all. I don't care. I'm not... I'm not so addicted to meat that it's like, no, you can't have my meat. No, you can't take it away. Paul is like, I live a life that's free. So when he says, I'm not under the law, when he says all things are lawful for me, he's not saying all things are lawful, therefore I'm going to do whatever I want. No, he says, I'm not going to live by the rules. What instead I'm going to live by is common sense. I'm going to allow God to do a work in my life where what I'm doing is reasonable, as it says in Isaiah. Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. God's going, if you'll just think about this a little bit, we can work things out that are going to work for you. Paul over in Romans talked about, as he was saying, man, I beg you. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So he says, what I want to do is, as a believer, I want God to work in my mind. I want him to change the way I think. I want my thought processes to develop and evolve to a point where I can live life comfortably and naturally, not artificially with a bunch of standards. Well, I can't do that because Dave said I can't, or I can't do that because what will people think of me? But living my life whereby I'm looking at my life and asking these kinds of questions. I'm just going, okay, let's just assume that the rules don't apply. Now, a choice that I'm going to make, what kind of baggage comes along with it? And secondly, are there some addiction issues that are involved? Is there a control issue involved? So for me, I can sit up here and preach against alcohol all I want. I don't have a problem with it. But I also have to go home and go, 
Dave, how about how excited you get when there's a UFC on? Watching Ultimate Fighting, you willing to give that up? Yeah, between all the big ones, you know. I'll give, I'll give up some of the reruns, you know. Or do I really say, you know, maybe this is something I ought to skip a couple just so that I know that it's not too big of a deal in my life. Doesn't that make sense? It does if you want to live your life in freedom. You know, it used to, you know, it's easy to go, well, I'm not chained to TV at all. Thanks to TiVo, I can watch whatever I want whenever I want. But it's more than that. It's like, ultimately, why do you do what you do? How do you make your decisions? Is it because of what other people say? Is it because of what you've always been taught? Is it because of what you're worried what other people think? Or is there a relationship with a living God whereby you realize that he wants you to think about, really, how good is this for you? How constructive is this in your life? God is so reasonable. Now, as Paul lays out those two things, then as we read in verses 13 and 14, he says, first of all, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. That was a proverb that they had, and that was the way that they would justify. Basically, it was another way of saying, if it feels good, do it. They would say, well, how could it be wrong if I have a bodily drive that's telling me to do it? And so all of these things they were doing that was destroying them are all things that they were saying, yeah, but why did God make me with this feeling if it's not meant to be fulfilled? So therefore, if I feel like I'm hungry and there's food there, I ought to eat it, was the mentality. But as he said, God is going to destroy it and them. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. In other words, as a third point or thing to look at, how about giving God some credit? How about considering what does he say? You are not under the law, but are there some certain kinds of behavior that under the law he forbid? I wonder why. I wonder if he knew something about it. And then are you justifying what you're doing because you feel like doing it? But see, God, he knows better than you are. And ultimately, when all the food's gone and, and your stomach's gone, he's still going to be there. And, and so, again, and Paul says, ultimately, he is for the body. God doesn't create something and then not give you a way of fulfilling what he's created, but he knows what's best for you. He doesn't want to make you miserable. He doesn't it's not his desire to, to give you something and then put so many rules that there's never going to be a satisfaction in that. But God knows what's best for the body. And so give him some credit and go, well, if he talks about this, he must know what he's talking about. God ultimately wants my best. It's understanding that he is for me, not against me. That then I go, okay, what does God have to say about this? What's his word declare? And, and also, what does he tell me personally when I ask him about it? And then as he goes on to say that he has the power of resurrection, basically, God raised up Jesus, and he's going to raise up by his power. So he's going, you're talking about power. God has the power to help you. He doesn't just say, here you go, man, and now you're in trouble. There's no way out of this. You're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. 
He says what we need is God's power. He has the power to do what's best for us. So again, it's let's look at a situation and say, first of all, okay, let's take a look at it from a baggage standpoint. And when you look at that, is this worth it? That in itself may eliminate certain behavior or encourage other behavior. And then we go secondly, okay, if the baggage I've considered, now how about the control issue? How about the addictive factor? And again, what's wrong for you at one point might not even be wrong for you at another point, much less for someone else. Now, when we hear that kind of thing, we often go, wait a minute, what's wrong for you might not be wrong for someone else? That sounds like situational ethics. That sounds like there's no absolute right and wrong. No, there is an absolute right and wrong, but the absolute right and wrong is in a particular situation with a particular person because we are designed to submit to God and to do what he wants us to do right now. He may want you to eat lunch today, but he may not want you to keep eating after you're full. He may not want you to eat the same thing you eat today, tomorrow. Maybe Sunday is a good day to have a big lunch, but tomorrow maybe you want to scale back. So God personally knows us. He's for us. And so the third step is just going, God, what do you want? What do you want here, really? What's your will? And we learn that by looking at his word, even by considering the law and saying, okay, when God made these rules, what was he thinking? What was he saying? He may know what he's doing. Certainly, as Paul says here, obviously, he didn't create your body for you to misuse it. He didn't create your body and then go, here you go. You have these drives. Now you need to fulfill these drives no matter what it takes to fulfill them. The body wasn't made for immorality. The body was made to work in a specific way. And for each of us, God loves us enough that he has designed us to function exactly the way that's going to be best for us. That's God's plan for us. But what we have to do is listen to him. Pay attention to his word. Pay attention as we listen to him and ask him for wisdom on a daily basis to be led by him ultimately so that we can fulfill that which he has designed us to fulfill. And that is what's going to be best for us. That's what's going to make us happy. And that's the way we will rise above the law. Not by being slaves to a bunch of rules that we can't follow and that have loopholes that where a lot of times we think we're following them and we end up on the wrong side of the law. But by, like Paul, just saying, I want God's best for me. And as a result, I know that God would have me to think about this and not just do things and disregard all the consequences and all the baggage and not just enter into something and become addicted and empower, have this power over me that God wants me to have self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. And then ultimately, I'm not going to ignore what he says. I'm going to give him some credit. He knows what he's doing, and I will let him define for me what's best for me. And that's a huge step to take, really. When it comes right down to it, to say, God knows better than I do. But if you can't say that, if you can't admit that God knows better than you do what's good for you, then why would you even worship God at all? Why would you be a Christian at all if you really think you know better than God? But the problem is a lot of times, I think, because people have misrepresented God so much to us that we think God's against us. But as Paul said, no, he's for you. He's for your body. 
He has something planned that's best for your body, that's best for everything that you'll do. And he offers that to us. And we can either hang on to a cheap imitation religion or we can enter into a relationship with a, with a living God who wants to allow us to live on a plane that's much higher than a religious level, that's much higher than a legalistic level. It's not enough even to do the right thing. God wants us to do the right things for the right reasons in the right way. And we discover that when we enter into a relationship with him. And that's what Paul introduces here in these verses. And he specifically talks about immorality and things like that in a little more detail later and what it is to be, to know that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we dig into that a little deeper, then we become even more impressed with the fact that, man, God sees us as so much more important than we see ourselves. And what he has planned for us is so much better than anything we could have ever dreamed up. But it starts by him going, you really want to do that? You really think that's worth it? You really want to put yourself in subjection to things that will destroy you? How about believing in me and letting me lead and guide you? And that's his heart for all of us. That's how he wants us to live. And when the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's what he wants to do. If your life hasn't felt very free lately, maybe you've fallen into the trap of legalism. You're going through the motions. You don't want that. That's not what God has for you. He has so, so much better in store for you. Let's pray. Lord, it must be really frustrating for you to look at the way we live. And as we put ourselves under artificial rules and regulations, and then we get either prideful or defeated, and how you must be shaking your heads and your head and just saying, oh, I have so much better for you. I wanted to set you free, and you're enslaving yourself. Lord, we do want to be free. We want you to set us free. And we want our minds to be transformed so that we can start realizing the rationality and, and the sensibleness of the life that you've called us to live. Lord, help us to see where choices that we are making is creating baggage that we don't want to carry. Help us to see where things that we've taken on are controlling us and taking power away from us that, that you want us to have. And Lord, bottom line of all of it, help us to hear your voice, to give you credit, to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.